everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tectonic. My name is Mark Hurst. I will be your host for the next hour here on WFMU Freeform, Station of the Nation, live from Jersey City in the great state of New Jersey. And uh, Happy New Year. It's great to be here with you on this second day of 2023. Thanks for joining Really happy to be with you, whether it's now or sometime in the future. I also want to start by saying thank you to Arb, DJ Arb, for guest hosting Tectonic last week on December 26th, and just doing a great job, as she always does with her various shows. And uh, I appreciate the the amount of time and preparation Arb put into last week's show. If you missed it, you can go back in the archives and take a listen to that. Today, what we're doing is number six. Number six in a line of annual shows since this show started. This is the 6th January that Tectonic has had some shows since, uh, since it started in fall 2017, we've had January 2018 through now 2023. And what we do on this show in January is we start the year off right by having a conversation about some things in the previous year and looking ahead to this upcoming year. And we we have this conversation with station manager Ken Friedman. As always, it is a privilege and honor to have Ken on Tectonic. Are you with us, Ken? Hey, Mark. Hey, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It's great to have you here. Um, and uh, it's been it's been a year since we <laughs> had our had our last year review and year ahead show. And uh, we have quite a bit of new material um, that 2022 delivered to us. Uh, yeah, it's been a big year. It was the year you were vindicated. <laughs> yeah. All your howling at the moon. <laughs> everything came to pass this year. I was, I didn't know how long it would take, but it finally, uh, it things finally cracked in 2022. Cracked and crashed. Cracked and crashed, and and uh, was. In the case of uh, much of the cryptocurrency market was revealed to be fraudulent, and uh, the the year ended with Sam Sam Bankman Freed being, uh, I guess, indicted. He was charged with with uh, fraud in what, if it's if it is judged to be the case, would probably be one of the biggest, if not the biggest, business fraud in American history. And that was just indicative of but, this but year. But don't forget the New York Times take on it. Uh, what What was the New York Times take on? They this year? love him in the Bahamas. <laughs> were they Were they giving him uh, puff pieces about about his real estate purchase or something? They love him in the Bahamas. <laughs> that was basically their article on Sam Bankman Fried. Like, yeah, he's coming to the U.S. to be indicted. For the biggest fraud in history, but they just love him down there. <laughs> I know that Andrew Ross Sorkin had an interview with him on the Deal Book at the Deal Book conference. This was over a video conference. Uh, they were at uh, Jazz at Lincoln Center in person, and uh, SBF was down in the Bahamas. And somebody wrote a piece talking about how many times Andrew Ross Sorkin thanked Sam Bakeman Freed. Thank you for being here. Thanks for your time. Thanks for that question. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's just. The Times has had a pretty spotty record around their coverage. I'm not talking about everyone at the Times, but there are certain people who went real easy on the crypto market and were, uh, if not looking the other way, they, they were pretty enthusiastic about the possibilities of technology. And it just, 2022 just crashed, cracked, and, uh, and ended a lot of those illusory dreams i think it's true um so we're gonna we're gonna get to that as you as you say the vindication and because i think uh that has something to say about 2023 about the year ahead because we're in a different environment and i have some things to say about that because i think that the 
the tenor has the tenor of the tech industry and our relationship uh, relationship to it has changed. But before we get to the year ahead, we got to talk a little bit about the year that just completed 2022. In particular, Ken, you have done us all a great service by researching one of the most recent events, big events in tech that I just, I, to be honest, I didn't have the stomach to dive into it. I'm talking about the Twitter files. You have taken the time to put together uh, a, a, a full perspective about what happened and what they mean and why they're important. Why don't, why don't you start, Ken, just by walking the listeners through what are the Twitter files? Because I haven't covered this at all on the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll just assume that people know nothing about it. Um, and if they know nothing, they are lucky because it's, yeah, it's a real black hole. Um, but Elon Musk released a whole bunch of internal Twitter communications um, from the period prior to him buying Twitter. Uh, he released uh, internal Slack messages and emails and text messages and all sorts of internal corporate communications that took place under the reign of Jack Dorsey. Um, and he invited um, who I guess Elon considered um, sympathetic journalists um, to come into the Twitter headquarters and, and have a look at these internal communications and then report on them um, with a caveat, a really, of course, a very musky and caveat uh, that, that they're reporting. And, and the, the journalists who he approached were Matt Taibbi was the first one, and then Barry Weiss, and then a whole bunch of other people. Um, but Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss are probably the two best-known journalists. The, one of the caveats was that they had to release their reporting about what they found on Twitter. So, right. of course, that's a terrible idea. Right, because everything has to be threaded in these tiny little posts <laughs> right. that are hard so to navigate. Basically, right. they're, they're, writing, you know, uh, they're writing an article, but it has to be broken up into 280 characters <laughs> at a time. Of course. Uh, which makes it very difficult to, to follow it and to write it and, and everything. Um, and then after, after some of these um, chapters of the Twitter files have gone up, Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss have compiled them and made them more easily readable on their own Substack platform. But then, of course, you have to be a subscriber Subs to get the whole thing. And meanwhile, right. uh, the mainstream media and most of even the non-mainstream media has pretty much been ignoring the entire thing. Um, well, so, And part of that, we should just say that Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss are – um, pretty high-profile journalists who used to be at major publications, but then right. publicly left their posts and and started up their own Substack blogs. They went independent. Yeah. And so I wonder if the lack of coverage of this has something to do with the the big uh, mainstream media publications saying, "Hey, hey, you wanted to leave, so yeah, go true. go go talk about it on your independent platform now." Yes, good point. Yeah, Barry Weiss was at the New York Times. Matt Taibbi was at Rolling Stone. Um, so how it worked was uh, Musk invited them to a room at the Twitter headquarters in San Francisco and uh, provided they brought their own roll of toilet paper with them. They were allowed into the room um, and then able to access computers in that room, uh, which they could search for they could search through Twitter's internal communications, but they couldn't take these files home. No, and so the, the their only access to this data set was in a special room, right? In a special room with Twitter lawyers with present, lawyers present, great, <laughs> and with other Twitter people present to ostensibly to answer questions. Sure, just to answer questions, no other reason. Uh -huh. And and there is a key question that I've had about the whole thing, which is: Was Musk allowing them to search everything? Or was he acting as a gatekeeper uh, and curating what they could search through? And I would heavily guess the latter. Well, well and how would we know anyway? Right. You would never know. So we they, to... And they would never know. The reporters themselves never would know, or, or, nor do they know. But, but Musk never represented that this was the entirety of what he— Oh, what I'm not sure. Available. I'm not sure whether he how he represented so it. So if not. it's if it's to Musk's advantage, I just think if it's to Musk's advantage 
not to show them everything. And he never made a big deal about promising that he was showing them everything. It's it's more likely than not that there was some edit made. I, I agree. I, because I th- that I comes think... up later in your analysis, I think. Right, because, because um, the reason why a lot of people got outraged, or especially a lot of people on the left got outraged um, at the Twitter files, is because they are promoting a right-wing narrative in, in various different ways. There's different chapters of them. Some chapters um, are promoting a right-wing narrative a lot more than others. Um, and we can say that, that Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi are known to, uh, to, or I don't know if this is fair, but when I read about them online, people are saying, oh, they're, they're so right-wing. Right. Is that a fair characterization of, of their work? Uh, no, I don't think it is. I think it's more accurate to say that they're both left-leaning journalists who have a heterodox, yeah. who take heterodox opinions, who take opinions um, that that would be contrary to what a lot of people on the left would consider acceptable. And, and, sh- beca- and because they take, because they don't always take the party line, right. um, then suddenly they're Nazis. Right, right. Um, <laughs> And I should so, say, I, we've had, or you've had, Matt Taibbi on Tectonic yeah. when you guest hosted once. And I've um, run one or two excerpts of Barry Weiss's work. I especially liked when Weiss uh, interviewed Mark Cuban and asked him very directly why he was still making money in Xinjiang through his NBA team. And he was unable to answer the question. And that was due to her rather heterodox line of questioning. Yeah, with I... Um, I like a lot of what they both do, and I and at the same time I don't agree with either of them right. all the time. Right. And Matt Taibbi actually did yeah. a show here on WFMU very briefly, yeah. uh, which which got interrupted by uh, his cancellation on on unrelated issues. Right. Um, so yeah, the fi- there's the file, there's the Twitter files themselves, and then there's the reaction to them, right. which I've been kind of fascinated by by both of them, um, and and they do tend to promote a right-wing narrative. But to me, I don't care because what they're doing more than anything is they're proving um, a lot of points that you and I and perhaps a lot of listeners have long suspected um, that the government is in cahoots with big tech to control our beliefs. Um, So that's something that a lot of people, of course, have thought for a long time. But this is really proof of a different variety. This is really... Uh, incredible proof of the way the government, uh, federal, state, and even local police <laughs> departments uh, conspire with the big tech companies, not just Twitter, but the other ones as well, yeah. uh, in order to kill certain stories, to kill certain accounts. And they're not doing it just on the big ones either. Like there was the famous case of Twitter accidentally taking down the New York Post's account. Um, but but Twitter is also going after very small accounts, people who have 50 followers, but say something that they don't like. That the government, um, some government agency doesn't like. Yeah, that some government that, agency doesn't like, s- or the people at Twitter don't yeah. like, or they'll take, they'll, they'll, they'll take down take posts, they'll take down <laughs> posts from actual scientists and actual researchers posting their actual scientific findings, and they'll take them down and ban the account just because the findings go against uh, the party line. Right. Yeah. So can I just back up here for a yeah. second? Because you, I want to make sure our listeners are, are um, familiar with that New York Post story. So when the Twitter files first, um, before the Twitter files came out, when Jack Dorsey was at the helm, people on the right constantly were complaining that Twitter was censoring right-wing perspectives. And one of the, and this was, this was, this went on for years. Twitter is so left-leaning that they're censoring the right. And Twitter's response was always, no, we are just trying to get rid of the Nazis. And if you're being censored, maybe you're a Nazi. <laughs> that, that was, and, there, and there were Nazis on Twitter. I mean, that, that was a true statement. But then there was this interesting case. I'm not sure if I covered this on the show, but the New York Post ran this front-page story uh, that had something to do with Hunter Biden's laptop. And this was something that the Republicans really wanted to make a big deal out of because it, it made, the, the, made Joe Biden and his whole um, election campaign look bad. So the Post ran this story, and Twitter not only 
took down the links to that article, they took down the entire New York Post account. And the New York Post, I think, is one of, one of the oldest newspapers in the U.S. This is not some weird, uh, con, you know, like fly-by-night place. It's, it's been around for a long time. And so the, the people on the right were saying, see, this is what we mean, that Twitter can and will take down an account for a partisan reason. And I thought that that was a valid concern because if Twitter, with its with its leadership under Dorsey could do that against someone on the right, I could easily imagine leader, a different kind of leader that we, I mean, we may be seeing it now that is willing to take down people on the left. And so whether you're on the left or the right, you see this middleman of Twitter being able to take down accounts with impunity for no reason. And they often give no, they give no justification. They just they just nuke the account and that's the end of it. Yeah, that's one of their many tools is uh, taking down the account. But the Twitter files goes into great detail on all their other tools. They have endless, endless strategies for shadow banning, meaning banning people without their knowledge uh, and what they call visibility filtering, uh, which is preventing certain accounts and certain tweets from being able to rise up through the algorithm to get promoted. Uh, and then they had labeling. They would put labels on things saying, hey, we think this is BS, you know, that. Yeah. So they had they had all sorts of these tools. And, uh, and, they and, they, and then they had a whole yeah. lingo. They had a whole vocabulary and hundreds of acronyms and, you know, this whole special jargon for dealing with this. And as uh, Taibbi and Weiss and the other reporters are going through it, they had to have people from Twitter who could, you know, decipher it and, and, and let them. But it was it, that that's it's it, it's very 1984, and it's it's a it's an amazing peek into the black boxes at Twitter. Right. You know the algorithms, how the algorithms work, and also how shadow banning and visibility filtering work. So how they how they control the whole process, and as you say, how they put their fingers on the scale. It, so this goes into it goes into tremendous detail about that, which is fascinating. And it's and you know it, it's just a view of one big tech company doing this thing that they all do. Right. They all do it. But here is actual proof um, and evidence. And we're seeing not only how they do it, but we're also seeing how um, federal law enforcement and state and local law enforcement agencies cooperate with them and work with them um, towards putting their fingers all over the scale. So, so uh, there's a, um, a defense from Twitter and fans of Twitter uh, at that time who, who say, we were not taking orders from agencies like the FBI. We, we were just uh, receiving some suggestions from them. Right. Yes, there's been, there's been quite a few uh, people defending Twitter in a way saying that, you know, this isn't like the government telling them, hey, take these down. This is just the FBI sending them a list of a couple of tweets saying, hey, we think these violate your terms of service. Anybody could do that, Mark. You could send you could send a list of tweets to Twitter saying, hey, by the way, these violate your terms of service. Do what you will. That's all the FBI was doing. That's that's the argument that many people are making, which is complete BS. Because what you see, what you see in the Twitter files is that uh, Twitter is completely cowed by the FBI. And it's while it's true that they don't say yes to every single request, they jump. When the FBI says jump, they jump. They sometimes take on huge Excel documents of hundreds and hundreds of tweet of tweets and accounts, and they just distribute the work across the team, and they get it done. And then when they're done, they congratulate each other and talk about what a good job we just did. They also, Twitter had uh, people who worked for the FBI and the CIA now working for Twitter who would, those people would periodically warn them, like, Hey, this stuff is, you know, theoretically optional, but we really have to be diligent about dealing with it. Otherwise, there's going to be consequences. So they know that if they don't if they don't deal with the FBI's request and the FBI's requests are incredibly minute. And, yeah. you know, like I can't believe they're going after people who have 50 followers. Yeah you know, for engaging in election denialism. And they're going after people who just make jokes. Right. They're going after people you can't even take that seriously. That was just a joke. 
Right. You know, and the, this is what the FBI is doing. Right. You know, rather than going after corporate criminals or or mob-related crime. The, the, the people sitting and saying, I don't like this joke. Uh, add that to right. the, the, the ban list. And the list. FBI had a whole, they had a whole crew no, of crew. people <laughs> doing this. Um, and <laughs> it was like, it was called the, I can't remember the acronym. They had acronyms for everything, but there was a whole division. Um, I think it, it based out of the San Francisco field office yeah. and the head FBI agent there was na- had a great name, Elvis Chan. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is a great name. So Elvis Chan from the FBI's San Francisco field office was at the center of it all. He was the one who developed all these contacts and relationships. Yeah. Um, and then they started at the FBI, at the San Francisco field office, they started coordinating for all the other government agencies who wanted to do the same thing. Department of Homeland Security, the Pentagon. Then they started taking requests from other FBI field offices, uh, around the country, they started taking requests from local police departments. So they just became like the go-to. If you wanted to censor stuff on Twitter, you know, Elvis was your man. Right. Well, this is this is really significant. I think that there's a discussion out there about whether the Twitter files are meaningful or not. Yeah. And people, uh, it like so many other things, it tends to fall on party lines. Right. People on the left tend to say, "Oh, this." This just shows that Jack Dorsey was doing his best in moderation, and it's a difficult business. And people on the right say, see, the censorship. Right. I think, personally, it, it comes back to what I've said a lot on the show, which is this is, this is not a left versus right issue. What, this is, what the Twitter files well, are showing— it shouldn't be. It sh- I mean, it yeah, can it be sh- made into be, it. It shouldn't be. Yeah. I don't see it as a left versus right issue. I'm seeing this, as you're going through this, as— what we uh, had not previously been told about the the deep relationships between the surveillance state and Twitter, and by extension, we can guess those those relationships are just as deep at Google, at YouTube, at Facebook, at Snapchat, and others. That the surveillance state that we see growing all around us is is conspiring very closely with the most powerful companies in the country to mold and shape what citizens are able to see and what they're able to uh, send to each other right. in 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 uh, their communications. Yeah, and, and it doesn't and it, and it doesn't matter us. it doesn't matter how popular you are. No. And it doesn't can, and it doesn't matter if what you're saying is true or not. You can be a, a small fish or you can be a, 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 <coughs> an old newspaper either way. Things can things can be taken down, and they won't give a justification. And if you don't find out, they won't even tell you that it's happening. Like with shadow banning, right? You could just be going on your merry way and not knowing that you've you've been shadow banned. So, I mean, what what Musk has done here? I mean, this is it's a complicated issue because I am not a fan of Elon Musk. I really am not. But in that stop clock, uh, being right twice a day kind right. of thing. I think, uh, despite himself, he's been able to uh, raise the raise the lid on uh, or open the, reveal this to us in in a way that hasn't been uh, shown before about how the government is working with big tech, and that's I think that's enlightening. It, yeah, it's very enlightening, and it also applies to way more than Twitter. The Twitter files demonstrate quite clearly that what the FBI and other government agencies were doing in terms of trying to control, you know, speech on, on, on the Twitter platform, they were doing on many other platforms as well. And they went way down the food chain. Of course, you would expect that they did it on Facebook and Google, uh, but they went way down the food chain. I couldn't believe some of the sites that they were that that they had contacts with in order to censor them. Pinterest. <laughs> they they were even dealing with Pinterest and other Pinterest style, you know, size platforms. And in fact, uh, they got it together um, and uh, for better and for, for I guess I guess there's a silver lining to the fact that they only just did this. Yeah. Like maybe a year ago that the FBI coordinated and made a list of all the chief censors at all of the largest platforms from Pinterest on up. And then they sent it out to all the different federal agencies who wanted to get in on the fun. And this is very illustrative to how backwards 
the FBI is in terms of secure, in terms of digital security. They put a Word document together that had all the names and emails and phone numbers of all the chief censors at all the platforms. And then they sent it out to all the government agencies, the Pentagon, Department of Homeland Security, CIA, NSA, over regular email. And the subject line was something ridiculous like super secret contact list. <laughs> and the name of the Word document was like super secret contact list dot DOC. Right. I mean, it's, that's it was right. just it's just insane. Don't share. <laughs> it's insane. The stuff that has come out of the Twitter files. But it's a real shame that it was put out in such a weird you know, difficult way. But well, I think it shows <laughs> how scattershot this whole effort is. This is this is not a well-organized effort of yeah. the government to systematically go through all communications. They're, like you say, they have a crew set up and they're finding this guy. I don't like that joke. Right. Take that down. It's just, uh, it's, it's very uh, a rudimentary operation. Yeah, and it, it? it would seem that they're searching for keywords, which might be how they find these very small accounts. Yeah. Um, and and but but also besides them besides the Twitter files demonstrating um, that Twitter um, is you know taking marching orders from all these federal agencies, uh, it also provides an incredible view into Twitter's moderation process. Right. Just just the process that they follow internally uh, to to moderate content, yeah. even when the government's not asking them to. And I have very strong views on that because I am a moderator you know, of the WFMU chat board. So I'm right. always dealing with issues. You know, there, there's things that come up constantly and it's impossible to make everybody happy. I know that. It's impossible to never make a mistake. Right. You know, you're going to make mistakes all the time. So I'm very, you know, very um, open right. to the problems of moderators and I'm very sympathetic to the problems of moderators. Right. And I firmly believe that moderation has to take place at any public platform. Of course, it's not yeah. like... Uh, there can be no feature in the dashboard to take down a post or, or ban an account. Well, I mean, we've seen what happens when there's no moderation and a right. site turns into 4chan right. and 8chan. So those sites exist. They're out there you know, for people who want no moderation. But, right. you know, but most people who want to operate a platform don't want, it, don't want that to happen. So for, for obvious reasons. So there has to be moderation. I understand that. But but from the from my point of view as a moderator, looking at the Twitter files and the view that they're giving you of their moderation, it's really messed up. It's really ad hoc. Um, they're not following their own rules. They look for reasons to suspend. They, they, they go into gyrations over how do we justify suspending this person? How do we justify taking this tweet down? Um, then they, you know, rather than just having a clear terms of service that includes regular language like you're not allowed to troll. You know, right. things like that. Right. Here's how we define trolling. Right. You know, they, they have all their little secret diabolical weapons like labeling. Oh, we'll label it. Oh, we'll, we'll filter it, the visibility right. filtering. Right. And there's all different levels of visibility. Without telling people. Right, without telling what, people what's going on. Right. Just be clear about what you're going to do. Do it and then say, yes, we did that. So everyone knows what's happening. Right. If, uh, just have a clear terms of service and explain in regular language what is allowed and what's not allowed. And if people do stuff that's not allowed, kill their account right. and tell them that their account has been killed. Right. And give them a place to talk to somebody about it. Right. So but no, that's that's not what they do at all. What they do is really is is really dishonest and underhanded and invisible and real 1984-ish. Like you just like. You don't that's, know. You don't know exactly thing. what's going on. You don't know who they're talking. Who they're taking? Uh, I won't say orders. Suggestions from. You don't know what rule they uh, they they drew on to take your post down. You don't even know that they took your post down, and then you have no one to talk to if you do figure it out. Every there's there's no transparency in any of this. Yeah. And now with with Musk in charge, do you think? It's changing. I mean, it seems like he's been on a rampage to take. I mean, he, oh, he yeah. kicked off journalists. Right. He's, he's doing the exact same thing. And he's, he, it's just like you're, he, you're he, I don't like that. I don't like that you you question me. And so right. I'm taking your account down. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, I mean, this is could, what I don't understand, Ken. Here's this guy. Oh, I'm the free speech advocate. I'm, I'm releasing, I guess, some of the Twitter files. 
But at the same time, he's banning people left and right who right. he doesn't he's, like. His, yeah, I mean, this has really shown that his free speech absolutism is just so naive and stupid and oh, not not based in any kind of thought or right. anything. You see that, like, when he first bought Twitter, he said he was going to set up a moderation council. Yeah, yeah sure. No, there's never been a moderation council. It's just like, <laughs> right. it's just his whims and, right. and his cronies' whims. That's right. And in fact, uh, in the course of researching the Twitter files, um, I also came across a lawsuit document um, that when Twitter Twitter uh, sued Elon to try to force him to go through with the, with the purchase of Twitter because he Elon tried to back out, yes. if you recall. Well, he overpaid. Yeah, because he overpaid and then he decided that yeah. half the traffic on Twitter are bots. Yeah, sure. In fact, it seems like it's way more than half. It's, really? It's like, yeah, it might be anywhere from 60 to 80 oh, percent wow. of the traffic. It's I another didn't know that. thing that came out of the Twitter yeah. files. Yeah, people people's estimates are 60 to 80 percent. Bots. Of the uh, activity on Twitter pre-Musk was, was bots. Um, but anyway, this lawsuit document had something called Exhibit H. And people can search for it by just thinking, I, I'm probably searching for the terms Twitter lawsuit Exhibit H, H. Okay. or Elon Musk Exhibit H. And it contains actual text messages to and from Elon Musk from all sorts of people, including Samuel Bankman Free. No kidding, yeah, SBF was in there. And including people, and, and, it, and it covers the period before he announced that he was going to buy Twitter um, when Twitter was still uh, courting him as a board member. Oh, right. And it's that That's period right. of time. And there's this amazing exchange. What's the guy on Twitter's name pre-Musk? Pre, pre Agarwal? Oh, yeah, Agarwal, yeah. Agarwal, yeah. yeah. So there's this amazing, uh, amazing exchange between Agarwal and Musk and uh, Agarwal saying, we'd love to have you on the board. We want to make Twitter better, too. You know so much. And everybody's just kissing his ass. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, every yeah. single one of these yeah. people who's tweeting Musk yeah. is just telling him what a genius oh, he is. Oh, so amazing. And completely um, kissing his ass, including Agarwal. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, and, you know, and Musk is very receptive, like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to be on the board. We're going to really, we're going to yeah. whip Twitter into shape, you know. And, and then all of a sudden there's a... Uh, text message from Agarwal to Musk that says, hey, uh, I can't stop you from saying, from tweeting things like, is Twitter dying? <laughs> but I do want to just let you know that it doesn't make my job easier right. trying to improve Twitter and right. deal with the problems that right. we're having. And Musk's response to him was, so what did you do at work today? Oh gosh. <laughs> and then his and then his next response after that is I'm not joining your board. I'm going to buy Twitter. Oh gosh. That's the kind of guy he is. Like Agarwal's yeah. message was totally reasonable right. and very right. diplomatic. Right. Like, very polite. Please, hey, hey, I you know, I thought you were joining in. you're joining our board. Yeah. Don't go tweeting things like yeah. is, is Twitter, Twitter dying? dying? Right. That's that's a little counterproductive, but I guess he learned, as everyone else is, is now learning, Musk does not like to be questioned. Ugh. He does not like to be d denied any requests that he has. Yes, and he's clearly never thought about moderation or, you know, real life free speech as right. opposed to like fantasy absolutist free speech. Which is why it's so ironic that this this yo-yo of all people is the one who made these files public yeah sort of public yeah but but of course he was just trying to settle a score right and as we said earlier we're not even sure if he maybe edited out some documents that made his his side I look bad i would expect that he did so that. It, it may yeah. it may actually be a one-sided uh attack but uh, still yeah the but stuff still, but still the, the the stuff that's come out and is still coming out there have been 10 chapters of the Twitter file so far. And I think any day now we're supposed to get number 11. And each one of them sort of deals on a different topic. Yeah. So there was the uh, suspension of Trump. There was the Hunter Biden laptop. There was climate, one that was about climate denialism or, or no, election denialism. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what I don't know what this week's edition is going to be, but Can't I'll stay wait. up on it. All right. Well, thanks, Ken, for diving into that rabbit hole. And um, and and being there for some time and saving me the time and energy yeah. it would have taken because I really I don't know I just did not want to 
I avoid most internet rabbit holes, but yeah. th this was one that fascinated me. So, yeah. On the uh, playlist, by the way, if, uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tectonic on WFMU. Um, I'm your host, Mark Hurst, and I'm here with station manager Ken Friedman for our annual beginning of the year show together that we are now doing for our sixth annual. And we just uh, spoke about the Twitter files and Elon Musk. There is a uh, vibrant discussion going on on the comment board. And, I uh, bet. At WFMU.org, <laughs> click, click playlist and comments. And I also put on the comment board a couple of Musk memes, uh, both from Mastodon, which is the service that I favor these days. I really don't use Twitter anymore. And Mastodon has, uh, has some clever comments about Musk. You can check that out at the playlist or, or join in the live listener chat. Now, for the next segment, I just thought it'd be fun to do a little uh, quiz because we did a quiz last year, Ken. It was... Um, right. It was Bondvillian or who said it? A Bondvillian or a billionaire? That's right. And so we... And I would give you a, a phrase and then you would have to choose if it was from a Bond movie or a big tech billionaire. And you did pretty well. And uh, since we were talking about the Twitter files, I thought it'd be topical to, uh, to do another quiz this time. This, uh, and I'm taking this from the New Republic published this on November 14 of last year, 2022, in a piece called, Who Said It, Elon Musk or Mr. Burns? And uh, here we're talking about Montgomery Burns from The Simpsons. The, the New Republic says, Mr. Burns and Elon Musk share some similarities. They're the richest person in their respective universe. They boast about their green energy initiatives <laughs> for electric cars and nuclear power plants but they use their power to advance right-wing politics and fuel their petty personal grievances. So, similar in those ways, let's start. And you just tell me if it's Burns or Musk, okay? Okay. Quote, oppression and harassment are a small price to pay to live in the land of the free. Ooh. Yeah, that's a good one. Hmm. <laughs> Burns... Or Musk. I'm going to say Musk. Bzzzt. That oh, was Montgomery that Burns. Was Burns. Oppression and harassment are a small price to... I can't really do his accent. Small price to pay to live oh. in the land of the free. Okay, and then here's the next one. The politicians and unelected bureaucrats who stole our liberty should be tarred, feathered, and thrown out of town. That's Musk. Yeah, that's Musk. You're yeah. right. I'm not the thief. The government is. Every year, you make hardworking Joes, like my reporter friend here, pay income taxes. Uh, that sounds like Burns. That's Burns. Yeah. If there was a way I could not eat so I could work more, I would not eat. That's Musk. Of course it is. See, I knew you'd be getting <laughs> most of these. Only the first one is really tough. I should be able to run over as many kids as I want. Uh, that's Burns. Yeah. Although, you know, strangely, Tesla. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, Musk was 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 it Musk? I think it was Musk claimed publicly that uh, Tesla, the self-driving mode would definitely stop for a kid in the middle of the street. And so the fanboys, one of the fanboys got his kid to stand in the street in front of a <laughs> self-driving Tesla. I mean, it's, it's, oh it's, my God! It's but then, but then there's another guy out there who keeps testing with mannequins. Yes, and they and keep they, and they keep <laughs> finding that the mannequins get run over. Well, and, and actually, I think that that person's the mannequin guy. I think got banned on Twitter. Of course, yeah, yeah. No, no, you can't, you can't, you cannot question Musk anywhere on any media property he owns. Uh, there, this is an easy one. There will be no Mars if we let them take our freedom away. Uh, that's Musk. Yes, of course. Anything yeah. with Mars. Yeah, I don't Occ know that, Occupy Mars. Yeah. Yeah. Since the beginning of time, man's ha man has yearned to destroy the sun. Uh, Burns. Yeah, that's a famous uh, yeah. Simpsons meme. Yeah, because he's a nuclear guy. He's not, he's not a solar guy. <laughs> That's my lesson for taking a vacation. Vacations will kill you. Uh, Musk. Yeah. Uh, you're 100% you're, you're after that first one. Oh, good. Family, religion, friendship. These are the three demons you must slay if you wish to succeed in business. Burns. Yep. Um, 
if you can take advantage of a situation in some way, it's your duty as an American to do it. Musk. That was Burns. Oh. If you can take advantage, yes. Uh, morons, pathetic morons in my employ, stealing my precious money. <laughs> Burns. Burns. <laughs> one more. Family. Oh, I did that one. Uh, oh, I would tell those people they will get to see their families a lot when we go bankrupt. Uh, hmm, Musk. You got it. Yeah. You got them all except for two. Good job. Thank nice you. Job. Excellent quiz performance. You know your, your Burns and your Musk. Let me see on the comment board. Did anyone? Uh, well, let's see. Handy Haversack says, I used the Destroy the Sunline just today. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a go-to Simpsons quote. Finally, oh. one last segment to go over in the, the, the remaining 15 minutes. And I should remind everybody, I want you to stay tuned because the great Dave Mandel is here. And uh, I know there's some great fill-ins and guest hosts going on today. Uh, but uh, Dave Mandel is here, and th it's going to get complicated. His show, It's Complicated, full of prog rock tunes, is coming at you in uh, 17 minutes. So stay tuned for that here on WFMU. Uh, Boy, is Dave Mandel's show well-timed. I was in a big bookstore with a huge magazine section, and there's a new prog magazine. A prog a new, magazine? Yeah, Slick, full-color print magazine it's new. about prog rock, brand really? new. Really? It's called Prog. Well, yeah. I had no idea. Yep. Does, uh, when Dave, Dave comes knows. in, we'll, we'll, we'll ask yeah, I'll him. I'll tell him. We'll ask him if he knows this. Um, so this, this is the, seg the final segment of the discussion today, Ken. We should talk about the year ahead. And I wanted to, um, I wanted to bring up, again, what you said earlier, that last year vindicated all of the howling that I had been doing for five years. And one of our um, past guests, Roger McNamee, who's a venture capitalist in Silicon Valley and has been sharply critical of big tech, especially Facebook. He was an early Facebook inv in investor, and he wrote a book called Zucked. He was on the show. Oh, yeah, I remember Talking about him. Zucked. Yeah. He wrote, a, he wrote an op-ed in the, in the LA Times yesterday uh, called Recovering from Big Tech's Lost Decade. And basically what McNamee is, it, this is a great piece. People should look it up. What he's arguing here is that regulators are finally starting to catch up. We need regulation of big tech in the same way that we, we regulate, you know, the food supply and to varying degrees of success, the financial system and the and pharmaceuticals and so on. We, we, we simply don't have any meaningful regulation of big tech and, and we need it uh, desperately. And it's and it's coming finally. Um, but if you look back at the last decade, McNamee is saying big tech rose uh, and, and did whatever it wanted with impunity for 10 years. And look at the destruction that it's wrought on us. And he writes, entrepreneurs and investors focus their energy on growing as rapidly as possible to massive scale and profits without con consideration for community values such as consumer safety, democracy, public health, and human autonomy. And I thought that was a, a good summary of the issues I've tried to bring up over these past five years. Look at what fill-in-the-blank company is doing to consumer safety or destroying democracy or threatening public health or uh, even compromising our autonomy as, as, as human beings. It's all four of those have been targets for the big tech um, growth at any cost business models. And I feel like with Roger McNamee pointing this out in, in this uh, Los Angeles Times op-ed, he is, he is diagnosing, I, I feel, in, in the rest of the op-ed, which I won't read the, the, the rest of it, but he's saying the same thing that I'm feeling, that the environment in the room has shifted with the crypto crash and Facebook losing 60% of its value and all of, the, all of the scams and frauds that have been uncovered over the past year. I think people are beginning to wake up and I think, here's my prediction, Ken. I think that things are starting to get better. I can finally say that on Tectonic. Wow. I haven't been able to say that for five years. But my gut is that we're just at the beginning of a transition point to 
regulators starting to pay more attention, um, regular users starting to think a little more about the tools th that they're using. And um, it, it's not going to change the behavior of the big tech companies. They're going to continue misbehaving to the nth degree as, as, as long to the last second that they're allowed to do these things. Their, their complete lack of ethics will, will pro propel them forward in their, in their uh, terrible uh, outcomes that they're bringing on all of us. But the good guys are on the field, and there's going to be some positive changes. And I think we're going to start seeing them in 2023. Well, it is, it is very heartening to see the myth of the billionaire genius get deflated the way that it has recently, uh, especially Zuckerberg. Yeah. And Musk. Yes. Do you recall when Zuckerberg was going to run for office? Do you remember yes. when he like traveled around the country yes. on listening tours to all fifty states? Yes. Oh, and that then, was terrifying. And the, the idea of the, you know that it's oh. incomprehensible to think of such a thing now, uh, but that was the era that we were in back then. And then Musk, uh, it, it's absolutely unbelievable. He went from really being you know, a, a positively viewed person, Yes. you know, by both right and the left. Yep. You know, everybody loved Musk, thought he was oh. a cool guy. He's dating rock stars and, he's you know. He's got rockets and electric trying, cars. Right, right, he's trying to save the world and blah, blah, blah. And like, oh, my God, did you see the video of him getting booed at the Dave Chappelle oh, show? Oh, yes. I actually, I have footage of that I could bring up if you're really interested. But, <laughs> yes. That was really amazing. He got That's booed. <laughs> he got booed for ten minutes, and even after Chappelle, even after Chappelle started uh, doing bits again, I think the second Chappelle mentioned Musk's name again, or like, or like tried to bring him back into it, people started booing all over. It lasted ten minutes. It really was amazing. So that's, that's, that really made me happy. This is the actual <laughs> footage. I happen to have it here. <laughs> I meant to play it on a previous show. But I didn't get to it. And then to see Tesla, you know, Tesla's stock drop like 60. I think, I, I think at its height, it was down 65%. Yeah, it's, it's still down 60%. Facebook yeah. is down 60%. You're right, Ken. I mean, just what so was when it is to? when is uh, Bezos going to get... His comeuppance. Well, that's what I want to know. Amazon, Amazon, it, it's it's really tough because there's. I had um, uh, the author of the book Fulfillment, uh, Alice Alec McGillis, on the show uh, three or four months ago, and it talks about how Amazon. We're talking about how big tech companies have infiltrated the government and vice versa. Yeah. There's a revolving door. Oh, yeah. Amazon is just as deep as all of them. They have these procurement contracts with the government. Um, they do uh, non-disclosed deals with, with municipalities to put in their data warehouse, their warehouses and data centers. Right. And it, it, they, they, the amount of lobbying they do, it's just when you ask, when is Bezos going to get his comeuppance? I think, when is there going to be political will in the government to finally crack down on the uh, the really deeply unethical and possibly criminal behavior that's that's happening uh, within Amazon on a daily basis. I mean, they're they're ripping off products from third-party sellers. They see whose 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 products are selling well, and they self-preference their own products on their search engine. This is one of the things from speaking of last year that um, we haven't talked about, and it's the the. The mostly a defeat of the antitrust effort, which was very right. disappointing. And that was a bipartisan effort to crack down on, on that kind of activity that Amazon and Apple and Google self-preferencing their right. own products right. and, and harming uh, third-party sellers and small businesses. And Chuck Schumer just, he delayed the vote. Up Chuck Schumer. <laughs> and we don't know what Schumer was thinking or how he was motivated to do that, but he did. He delayed and delayed, and this, this bipartisan effort, and the votes were there. Both Democrats and Republicans were saying, bring it up for a vote, these two bills. I know. It's one of the few bipartisan issues that exist. That's right. That's right. Both sides want to do something about the runaway power of these companies, but the companies are, are spending more on lobbying than any other sector, 
and it's it's very disappointing. So I hope that I hope that we'll see uh, some more wins from 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 the good guys uh, in yeah, Congress. Yeah, we haven't even gotten into Google. Google no longer really has a uh, a billionaire face, do they? Uh, not not so much. I yeah. mean. Um, Page, Page and Brin are t- occasionally you see an article on them and there was an article in I think it was Insider a couple of weeks ago that just had a world map and it showed a map of all the islands around the world these guys own just these two guys they have you know you, you, we tell the joke if I, if I make X number of dollars I'm going to buy my island these guys bought a whole string of islands wow. and, the, and so they just they live in isolation I think Paige more than Bryn, but I think Bryn owns some islands too. And um, yeah, it's... They, ne- neither one of them is really involved in the business anymore, right? Not, not in an overt way, but yeah. I'm sure there's some... I'm sure there is some quiet ways that they still have influence. But Google, look, Google is just much better at PR than, um, than Facebook. You know, when, when there was that series of Senate hearings a couple of years ago and Zuckerberg was just so wooden and robotic yeah, yes, yeah. and whoever google showed up was just very calm and slick and uh you know and and to to be to be sure google was acting just as poorly as as facebook as a company but they've escaped a lot of the public uh um negativity yeah. people still trust google because they don't they don't they're not aware of what google's doing to their data so, yeah, we still have some work on the show to try to raise, raise awareness about what Google's doing. Yeah, and, fa- and Facebook's comeuppance is kind of off-key, too, because the reason why Zuck and Facebook have had their downfall is because of his embrace of the metaverse. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Facebook and Instagram are doing the exact same thing they've always done. You know, and they're just as evil as ever. But and especially the images from the metaverse, I think, are so absurd, especially the images of Zuck in the metaverse, I think, have done more to sink the metaverse than anything else. Although yeah. the reports, the reports of from people who've gone there, it just sounds horrible. It's, hor- yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. I mean, I think Zuck was making a last ditch effort. Because he saw that that uh, TikTok, I mean, I think this is all about TikTok, is is eating his lunch. The yeah. young users are no longer flocking to Insta- no no one who uses Facebook anymore, you right. know. But a few of them used to use Instagram, but now they're all going to TikTok. And I think Zuck, um, he must have read that Neil Stevenson book, Snow Crash, that coined the the term metaverse. This is from 1994, 95, the sci-fi novel. And he said, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll bet the whole company on that. <laughs> and so he said, yeah, we're going to make a metaverse. And in fact, we're going to change our name to Meta. That's, that's, that'll tell, ev- that'll oh, well, tell them. Yeah, that was also you know, really timed at an amazing point. They changed the name to Meta right after the uh, Facebook whistleblower yes. um, was in the news. Yeah, oh, yes. Uh, oh, this is what Facebook does to your data. This is how Facebook manipulates you. you know, and I, I've done other shows. This is how Facebook is knowingly allowing people to sell illegal drugs and people well, are dying. Rumors, there's rumors now that uh, Zuck is going to depart Facebook and take me- the metaverse with him. <laughs> That's the big... You know, you know what I would like, though? I have an easy solution for all this, and it would satisfy all the egos of all of the billionaires. Just let, let's all let Musk... Build the rocket to Mars and have that special guest list. It'll, Musk has to be, because look, Bezos got on his rocket. I don't see Musk on his. You know, so to put it to Musk like that, hey, if you're a real man, you'll get on the, you'll get on the Mars mission. So it'll be Musk. It'll be Zuckerberg. It'll be all the billionaires. And just have them, have them go to Mars. And, you know, I, I wish them a safe journey. I hope they make it just fine. As long as they stay there. Well, it, it, takes, it takes several years to get there and would take several years to get back. And I think, I really think Musk That's is the genius. Point. Let me just say it. Elon Musk, you are the genius we need right now. And you need to demonstrate it by taking yourself and your fellow billionaires on a rocket to Mars. And, um, and that's, that's something to hope for in 2023. We're, we're about out of time, Ken. 
We are. Thanks. It was fun. This is great. Thanks so much for showing up. And I, I hope you'll, um, you'll guest host again sometime. Oh, yeah, He's, absolutely. I know the listeners always enjoy that, as do I. Uh, thank you to the listeners for showing up. And, um, Ken, Happy New Year. And I'll, I'll see you around. Same to you. Um, friends, you have been listening to the greatest radio station in the world, WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County at 91.9 FM and online at WFMU.org. Until next time, friends, you know exactly what you've got to do. Avoid Apple, abandon Amazon, forget Facebook, and whatever you do, get off Google. Here, I'm still playing this booing. Can you believe this? Okay, I'm not going to play Chappelle for my outro, am I? Or am I? Wouldn't that be something? Um, I want to encourage you to stay tuned for Dave Mandel, who is coming up with his show that is now supported by a new, uh, or, or the, the topic of prog rock is now supported by that new prog magazine that we'll ask him about. And uh, stay tuned for It's Complicated. See you next time, everybody. Hello, and welcome to another installment of It's Complicated, an hour of Prague and Prague-adjacent music for you. My name is Dave. I'm here every Monday doing this show at this time. I have with me a guest helping me out doing a color commentary this week, DJ Val. Let's te- test your mic there. Test, test. All right. It's beautiful. Mm. Welcome, Val. Thank hope you, you for help. having me. Sure. Hope, hope you can help out with some... Yeah more interesting commentary than I can possibly My credentials are that we're related and I have ears, so I'm... I'm You've passed passed the interview. (laughs) That's perfect. Uh, So I'm going to start today's show with a couple of bona fide prog, you know, indisputable prog tracks 
And then from there, we're going to drift into some other, maybe into the jazz rock realm and other frightening areas. But we're going to start with something from the group Birth Control. And after that, what are we going to hear after that? You may ask. Uh, Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth is who we're going to hear after that. Birth Control was, uh, was a was the, the most notable thing about birth control the band that is if you ask me is they had an al- they were they were a german group and they had an album with birth control on the covers like an iud or something and and um and you know what i hadn't i haven't fired up my i haven't fired up my playlist let me do that i'm sorry that's really important uh, okay got it now you can make comments and see what I'm playing. Anyway, the the notable thing about Birth Control was they had an album with with Birth Control on the cover. It was like a like a condom and and or an IUD and it was banned in some countries. You know how it is. But I'm going to play a track from uh from what I think their first album, second I don't I don't remember actually which what I have queued up. I'll tell you uh, when we come back, but we're going to hear something from Birth Control. We're going to follow that up with a track from a British group called Babe Ruth, and that'll do it. I'll be back in just a little while. Mm-hmm. 